Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the infallible, and inerrant word of God written for you and for me today. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Amen. That's part of the reading of God's holy word. Well, beloved in Christ, to walk with Christ and to talk with Christ. To learn from him in person. To be eyewitnesses of his majesty in Christ's transfiguration were incredible things. And this was Peter's experience. We know from Matthew 16 that it was also the Apostle John's experience. As he was with Peter and James as a fellow eyewitness. And further, John pressed a similar reason for the saints to receive the message and truth of his letter as reliable and authoritative as he began his first epistle saying this in 1 John 1 through 4, the first uh, four verses. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, note, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And so we hear this very similar report between John and Peter. Again, eyewitness accounts, eyewitness accounts that were to press to the people the legitimacy, the, the authority, the authenticity of this word that they were sharing with them. Now, in a court of law, trustworthy eyewitness testimony is powerful, isn't it? Peter, John, and the other apostles weren't liars. They weren't storytellers. Importantly, they weren't fake storytellers or myth-bearers whose message had the intent to deceive. No, they were eyewitness testifiers of the truth of what they saw and what they heard. Remember how special they were to hear and understand the words of God the Father from heaven as he gave honor and commendation of his Son to the people. And yet what many others heard with their ears as merely thunder or that sounded like the hearers thought it was the speech of angels, maybe. But Peter, James, and John heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And they were afraid. And yet what did Peter say was even better for the saints to stand on as reliable, infallible truths? The trustworthy, prophetic word which is given to us in the scriptures. 
Now, though some of us may have a desire to have been one of those eyewitnesses of Christ and his transfiguration, may we not downplay or diminish God's perfect providence, his timing, and having us right here, right now, seeing him and his truth through the eyes of faith in the scriptures. Never forget that all scripture is the God-breathed, inspired, and an errant word of the living God, spoken and written by men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, Peter said. It is the sure and all-sufficient word. And this is the important foundation of knowing and growing in the knowledge of Christ and God's power, having fruitful growth in faith, receiving and following helpful biblical reminders in word and life, as well as, take, as well as taking heed of the light of that trustworthy word. All of this being securely in place in our minds and in our hearts prepares us to rightly consider the reality of the false prophets that Peter is about to talk about. The reality of the false prophets, the false teachers, and their heresies is where he transitions and takes us next in chapter 2. And so let's look at these prophets, the teachers, and their heresies in verse 1. Their followers and blasphemy in verse 2, as well as Peter's words about deception, judgment, and destruction in verse 3. So Peter begins in verse 1a by saying this, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets, or excuse me, false teachers among you. Now notice Peter's past and future context here. There were and there will be. Peter begins painting this picture about revelation and instruction by opening a window to see what happened generally among the people. As the Holy Spirit is the source of true prophecy, as he enabled the prophets to speak and to write as God's representatives, this only made the identity and work of the false prophets all the more obvious, right? We see the battle that has occurred throughout the ages. When God called and sent his true prophets, Satan sent some to seduce and to deceive. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Remember the prophets of, of Baal in 1 Kings 18, and if you'd like, turn with me there. 1 Kings 18, we'll look at verses 17 through 21. 1 Kings 18, 17 through 21. We read there, then it happened... When Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. We'll stop there, but see two things here in this passage. Forsaking and following being the first, and faltering being the second. As we look at forsaking and following, the, the work and mission of the prophets of Baal was to seduce and to deceive, so that the people would forsake the commands of God, they would turn their back on him, walking away and not obeying what he told them to do. Not obeying him. Not following him. They would not only separate and pull away through forsaking, but they would also pursue and they would show commitment and allegiance in following what was false. But secondly, he charges them with faltering. Elijah saw the people were faltering or showing themselves unstable between two divided thoughts. And he called them on it. He brought it to their attention. He put it right there out in the open. They worshipped God to please the prophets, but worshipped Baal to please Jezebel and keep favor in her court. It's clear. And yet Elijah posed the crucial question that would stop this back-and-forth match between two opinions, two thoughts. Who is God truly? That is the question. Who is God truly is what Elijah asked them. Know him and follow him. That was what they must do. And yet what happened? They could say nothing to justify themselves. And they would say nothing to condemn themselves. They wanted to play it safe. You know, an important question considering this is, we are all servants. So whom will we serve? Are we like Joshua? For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that is true. So as there were false prophets in the past, as Peter pointed out, there have, there have been and are many today who have gained followers of their falsehoods. And we see that today in things such as what? Second coming date predictors. Spiritual fortune tellers. Now you don't see many of the gypsy variety out there, do you, with the crystal balls? Although you do see those too, don't you? But those who are, are trying to feign and profess to be followers of Christ, to woo God's people away from them, you still see those who are trying to predict the future. And what's going to happen for God has given them a word. We see that even more clearly and more obviously, maybe, in the word of faith prophecies. As the Lord brings a word to them, the new apostolic reformation. Even those who would say, like Bethel Church and others, we have a school of the prophets where you can give us money, we'll put you through our school, and you can become a prophet yourself. No heresy. It's false. But Peter was also mindful, keep in mind, to 
remind the people that there would be false teachers among them in the near future. And these false teachers have the same mission as those false prophets, to seduce and deceive. And thus we see more of the importance of Peter setting the stage in chapter 1, verse 16, don't we? Where he made it clear that there is a stark distinction between true ministers of God and the false teachers. True ministers proclaim the truth and power of Christ in the gospel. They proclaim the glorious coming of Christ. They are committed to feeding and nourishing God's people with that pure milk of the word. Whereas false teachers are fans and masters of cutting and deceptive myths and fables and stories to lure and to deceive those into the church that are in the church to forsake Christ and to follow them. Their mission is to steal and destroy. And Peter goes on to say that God's people not only need to be aware of their presence, but also their practice. Not only be aware of their presence, but also their practice. Look at 1B. What is that practice? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. So my friends, these false teachers are much like those Jude warns of in Jude verse 4, where he says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that false teachers, they don't just come knocking on the front door of the church, they won't greet you with handshakes or start conversations with openers like, Hi, my name is Mike. I'd like to lie to your face and flatter you so that you'll start believing and following me and listening to me instead of your pastor or elders. But rather, they quietly and stealthily introduce heresy or theological error. That's what heresy is. They'll stealthily introduce those things like poison, drop by drop, cup by cup, word by word, into the hearts and the minds of believers with the desire to deceive and to divide, right? With, to deceive and to divide. They're like a wolf, right, who seeks to divide the flock. And what is one of the, the classic strategies and the tactics of wolves when they approach a sheep flock. A wolf will break some off from the herd so that he can more easily overcome and consume them. And so Peter described these heresies as flying under the radar, so to speak. Not triggering the alarms. Being presented as truth. They were truly those teachings of Satan that appeared to be light unless somebody was more critical in their consideration and knowledgeable of the word. But in reality, they were oh so destructive, Peter says, and serious, as they really seek to cut us off from God. Again, we find the necessity of knowing and standing 
on that trustworthy word and, and the wonderful way in which Peter presents that first as he then is going to lay out much about these false teachers here in chapter 2. For the trustworthy word, it shines light on heresy, and it exposes it, that we would then reject it. But Peter also teaches us that these people deny Christ who bought them. Now what does he mean by this? See what Peter is and isn't saying. He isn't saying that Christians can lose their salvation. The Apostle John is also clear about this in John 10, verses 28 and 29, saying that if we belong to Christ, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Right? He and the Father are one. But what Peter is describing to is that the false teachers uh, and, and their own profession of faith here, their teachings, their sinful living, and their despising the lordship of Christ, which proves that they have a false profession. With their claim to be redeemed by Christ, their destructive ways bring shame and dishonor on Christ and his sacrifice for sin. That is clear here. And like John also teaches us in 1 John 2, 3, and 4, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But Peter says that these teachers also bring upon themselves swift destruction. God does not stand idle and unconcerned towards those who spread and teach destructive and divisive errors. The Lord is protective of his flock, his precious lambs. And so he is watching. He is watching. He is mindful of these things. Those who are so hardened to teach such errors will surely... And suddenly be destroyed, Peter is saying. They will receive the just consequence. They will receive swift and firm and decisive judgment at the hand of God. But look at verse 2. For he, he shared this, this information with us, this picture of the false teachers and, and their practice here in verse 1. But now he's going to also expand the picture a bit to point out and talk about their followers and blasphemy. Verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So not only will false teachers come, but they won't come and go alone, sadly. They will siphon off followers to leave with them. Paul warned Titus of those whose mouths must be stopped by godly elders because they subverted whole households with their false teaching, meaning they literally turned these households on their head. Right, we see that in Titus 1.11. But Peter here warns that the people can expect that there will sadly be some who would, like the Baals, Forsake Christ's command and follow their destructive, their pernicious, and damnable ways. And particularly here, we find a path uh, leading 
being in sexual indulgence and immorality. That was the main drive here. Even that's what we saw with Jude, wasn't it as well? Because they tried to twist the grace of God into a license for lewdness, for perversity. Right? It seems to be one of the go-tos for false teachers. Matthew Henry said this, corrupt leaders seldom fail of many to follow them. Though the way of error is a pernicious way, yet many are ready to walk therein. Men drink in iniquity like water and are pleased to live in error. That's quite strong and convicting, isn't it? Men drink in iniquity like water and are pleased to live in error. Oh, that we would be pleased to live in the truth, right? Oh, that we would be pleased by the work of the Spirit of God and by His strength to reject the error because we see the error because we know the word. And to walk in the light as He is in the light. To walk in and with the fellowship of the saints in the truth of the word and in true and pure worship to God alone, in service to Him alone, for He is our God. And we refuse to follow those who would be against him. Those who are anti-Christ. Those who are seeking to peel off believers out of the fold in order to follow themselves and have their own glory. Jeremiah 5 verse 31 says this, The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. How terrible. How sad. How deceived in sin God's people were. False prophets. False rule. Tyrannical rule. And the people say, yes, thank you, we love this, it's great. Some of that today, don't we? We see a lot of that today. And God's people today stand for this truth, therefore. Proclaim it loud and strong to call people to Christ and to call people to reject that which they have drunk and drunk and praised. For clearly they've been blinded if they believe such things that what is false is what is good. But there is a consequence to such sinful indulgence. What does Peter say would happen because of this? What does Peter say would happen because some of God's people would go and would follow those false teachers? The way of truth will be blasphemed, he says. When God's people walk and live in sin, it isn't as if we are doing so in a vacuum. It isn't. Our words and actions have a multi-layered effect, including a sad and terrible witness. Christ's name is blasphemed. We bear his name. And when people see us walking in that sin, promoting such sin, indulging in such sin, saying, yes, give us more, just like the rest, his name is blasphemed 
are those who are watching. His name is slandered. It's spoken lightly of. It's abused. Christ's word is also dishonored amongst the, the watching world because of our sin. May this, by God's grace, also be a tremendous motivation for us and a conviction for us as God's people, as the church, to come and to repent and to turn to God, to turn to Christ in true faith, and to walk according to his word that his name would be exalted and not blasphemed. May this stir in us all the more zeal to be sincere and strong in our individual and corporate guard against all forms of heresy and its lures. We must take great care that we give no occasion to the enemy to blaspheme the holy name whereby and in whom we are called. Or to speak evil of that way of truth. But in verse 3, Peter goes on to speak even more about how they will try to exploit us. As he speaks of deception and judgment and destruction, look at what he says. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Again, Peter doesn't sugarcoat their motives. False teachers covet what they don't have. They are greedy. They desire money and wealth and reputation and pomp and circumstance on YouTube, on the internet, all over the place. They want to be known. They want more people to follow them. They want more people to fund them and to buy their airplanes, to buy their mansions, etc., etc., etc. And so the fables and the stories are well designed. And they flow from their lips like water and are handed out like candy to children. Again, they're not just knocking and saying, hey, I'm Mike, a liar. I'm Mike, the false teacher. Here's my name badge. Um, let me in and let me have access to your heart. Listen to me for a moment, would you? No. But this flows from their mouths. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's clear when you examine it according to the word of God where their heart is and what their motives truly are. It's like candy to children. You know, my young daughter still gets excited when she hears the ice cream, the ice cream truck coming around the neighborhood. They know how to get the kids to come outside. She's nodding, yes, I did. They know how to draw the kids outside. They know how to get them to come and say, Oh, Daddy, Daddy, please. Daddy, I, can, can you buy me an ice cream? Can you give me some candy? In many ways, we need to see these false teachers as trying similar tactics because they're smooth. They're smooth. But yet, the Lord, by His Spirit and His Word, teaches us and grows us in knowledge and awareness and guards our hearts as we have the armor of God. He guards our hearts, guards our heads with his word. He teaches us to be aware and what to look out for. And we see it 
and we reject it. And we reject them. We, turn, we encourage others to do the same. So how are they going to accomplish their goals? They're going to sneak in and to speak well-crafted lies. Notice Peter says they exploit and use God's people. The people who follow them are being used. It's a sad truth. They think that they may be part of this grand organization or grand movement in order to do something really good. But they're being used. They exploit and they use God's people for their own selfish gain. And yet again, what awaits them? Peter presses and reinforces the reality of his message in verse 1. Divine judgment hasn't been lazing around and it will come upon them. Their destruction doesn't sleep, he said. And that's important. God has determined long ago how he will deal with them. Such unbelievers who endeavor to turn others from the faith are condemned already. And the wrath of God, of God abides on them. God's people need to know this. It should be of a great comfort to us. Consider John chapter 3. John 3.18, the context uh, following John 3.16, right? He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And later in John 3 and verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So my friends, as Peter is going to spend all of chapter 2 here with a thorough examination and a, a presentation of the character and the motives and the actions of false teachers, starting with these three verses, we would do well to see the importance and the ongoing urgency of our ability to be aware of and identify such false teachers and their damnable doctrine. With such sight and discernment, we must, have, we must have a strong commitment to see such teachings for what they are. They're destructive, they're divisive, they're pernicious, and we need to be committed to not play with their fire. They want us to play with their fire, but we must not play with their fire to not open your ears to them and consider their teachings. To not take one step that would turn you from Christ and toward them. For they are just trying to use and abuse you for their selfish gain. Taking you down the path like Solomon teaches us in Proverbs, in the beginning portions of Proverbs, as he teaches his son regarding the path of the seductress, the seductive woman that leads to death. Don't do it. But also take comfort in your God, who is the just judge, who, who doesn't sit idly by, who doesn't slumber nor sleep. He is perfectly aware and mindful of what is happening, for it is in his providence that we are facing such teachers and will. His justice and judgment 
will be swift on those who seek to deceive and lure away his precious lambs. Take that to the bank. Be encouraged by that. Again, this is one of those ways, like we were considering in Nahum, where the wrath of God is a comfort to us. Even the wrath of God that is evident as he protects and he supports and he teaches and nourishes and and disciplines and disciples his people and brings judgment to those who aren't, especially those who have tried to lead and lure us away. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together.